Welcome to More Than Movies. I'm Ivana. And I'm Jay. Today we pit time travelers against each other and then talk about dystopian futures in Ready Player One. Plus we get in deep with Dunkirk and online scammers who are targeting grandma. It's time for a nerd battle. There can only be one. Winner, that is. That's right. We haven't done a nerd battle in quite some time, but I just finished my top 15 time travel movies of all time. What's the number one time travel movie of all time? Back to the Future. No surprise. What's number three? Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Number three? Okay. Number three. You're you're crazy. I don't think I'm crazy. I'm not that crazy. I love that movie, and it's such a good movie. And it's underrated and underseen. So if you haven't seen Edge of Tomorrow, go out now and watch it. You'll find out the genius of it, and then you can share it with your friends that you saw this like hidden gem because people don't talk about Edge of Tomorrow. Or this movie is adequately rated, and it is Fuck good, but that. it's nothing crazy special. It's pretty great. You're going to love it. <laughs> so it got us on the topic of thinking, hey, who's the best movie time traveler of all time which had Ivana raise her hand and said ooh, ooh Doctor Who and I'm like no 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 emphasis on the movie and I my heart broke we because Doctor Who is so good but then Jay we can't had a, do Doctor Who Jay had a good point and he was like well Doctor Who would win Doctor Who wins hands freaking down so he's right and therefore we're doing movie time travelers only alright Jay who is your number one movie traveler of all time well you know how I said Back to the Future is my number one time travel movie, but Marty McFly is certainly not the best time traveler. So I'm going to choose Doc Emmett Brown. He is the better time traveler, but I think I have a pair of time travelers that beat Doc Are Brown. Are you cheating? No, I'm not cheating. They count as one. Okay. It's Throw it Bill out. and Ted from the Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Bogus Adventure, etc. series. Okay. So bogus adventure, they die. So I don't think you can jump into that one. <laughs> Unless time traveling means like, hey, we can go to hell and come back. Well, I suppose those movies all go there. But I, I am focusing more just on the original. All right, but, you know what? I'm gonna, the time I, you, here's why I'm going to give it to you. Because there is probably more dialogue they say together in that film than anything else. So that does. You're right. They count as one. You cannot separate those two. They are one character, one super character. You really think that these super characters are better at at traveling through time than Doc Brown in the DeLorean? Yes. Why? Well, I'm going to start with the first aspect of this is that they live in the second simplest sort of theory of how time travel works, which is that there is, you know, a spine timeline and nothing you can do can ever alter it. The timeline is the timeline, i.e. there's no such thing as like choice because your choice was already created because there is just one timeline. So everything you do has always happened that way. You know, your time travelers do not understand what you just said. That's also the beauty of it. <laughs> That's the best part. Like the fact that they are these dim-witted fools who don't even understand or think so heavily about the concepts of time travel because anyone who spends any time thinking about time travel or at some point goes into this like circular thought and then they feel like their brain is kind of hurting. 
Because there's just so many thoughts you can have and the butterfly effect and okay. all that Okay, all right, easy here. All right, first of all, thank you for s- explaining nothing about why your people are actually <laughs> the better time travelers. Uh, me and the audience, we all know that, uh, you know, to get their report done, Hermione Granger did it better in Prisoner of Azkaban, time-turning. So she could get her studies done because she actually went and used the time effectively instead of stealing people through time. But with that said, Dr. Emmett Brown, this man at one point goes back to the Wild Wild West. He doesn't like scream or get screwed or like get in a fight with Billy the Kid. No, he settles in. Becomes a blacksmith, respected member of society. Same thing happens when he goes to the future. Becomes a respective member of society until shit goes down with Biff and then he becomes committed. Which, of course, he goes back and he fixes. He writes that shit. Bill and Ted don't write anything. No, they do one better. They think about themselves, what their goal is, which is to learn about history. So they go back in time, they pull the history out with them and learn along the way. I mean, at the end of the day, these are two... What did they learn from Genghis Khan destroying a mall? That Genghis Khan is destructive. <laughs> <laughs> Look, oh. they, they are stupid and fun, and they were they came before Dumb and Dumber, and they created this stupid boy, like, buddy thing that has been done and redone in movies since them. I would say the best by you know Jim Carrey. That's and- that's a good point. I mean, like they have, like people have looked at that model and redone it, and it's successful it's, and it did well for its time. It's really nice though that my movie has not been recreated, even though they've tried. They can't even get close to what Back to the Future's magic is. Uh, but no, no, no. You're right. Your movie inspired a bunch of other wow, things. Wow, your one movie happened to be a very specific story. Yes, I think it's really important that when a movie inspires things, it has a greater thumbprint on history, if you will. Thus meaning, <laughs> in some ways, both Bill and Ted time travel you know, to the present day. Let's talk about the way they time travel, okay? Because, you know, they don't invent the time machine. They don't come into it because... You know, they know somebody who does. No, they Rufus like, basically literally is like, here's a time machine. Where my guy, he invented the flux capacitor. He took a brain injury and came up with time travel. I mean, that's pretty fucking brilliant. Doc Brown is brilliant. But the fact that he isn't the first one to time travel with his technology makes him a little bit more of a scientist. Bill and Ted are the time travelers. They're really there to travel through time, spread their, you know, peace, love, and be excellent to each other kind of mentality across the seeds of time, forever changing history and leading towards what is told to us to be a utopian future. Living in a cave and singing folk songs. Well, that's just one aspect of the future. I, I, that's the only aspect we know. This is all they could do. Maybe it's a scorched earth outside that cave. Maybe they didn't save shit. Well, Maybe Wild Stallions story, is the only record that they ever found. All I'm saying is the story is pretty clear that they save humanity. So I'm just going with what is exposed to me. 
Fair enough. But in order to do that, they did not need to time travel. They just had to make a, a record. Nuh-uh, because if they didn't time travel, they wouldn't learn what they needed to learn and spread the message of peace and love to all those important people, historian figures, who then they themselves influence the future, blah, 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 blah. Because the idea is, in their timeline... Are you, are you, sorry, a part of your nerd battle is blah, 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 blah? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because it's like, once you start talking about like the concept of... They came in and influenced Socrates or whatever, and then Socrates wrote things based on the influence of them, which then influenced the next chapter in history. To, you know, it gets boring. We all know where I'm going with this. I mean, I guess they're less cautious. Yeah. Because they realize they don't realize what they could happen. They mess with history more. And so in a lot of ways, I would say that that is part of of the magic of why they're so good at time traveling. They just go in there and get their hands dirty and everything somehow works out. I mean, we see what happens when you screw with history. You build separate timelines and, you know, the DeLorean recreates something and and, and they have to go back and fix it because it's a hell of a bad thing to affect time in any way. I mean, Marty McFly almost banged his mom. Like, these are bad things. That could have happened. Which, by the way, is a theme also in Bill and Ted's. Yeah, yeah. Everybody just seems to Bill have wants to nail his mom. mom. Yeah, hardcore. Yeah. Well, I think we've, like, kind of gone down the road of, like, time travel and what they've done and where they lead to. I mean, you know, Doc Brown builds finally a time machine that he can have a family in and live in. And Bill and Ted die. So, who is the winner? <laughs> two delightfully dim-witted fools who just love to entertain you or a kooky crazy genius who maybe is dangerous we're we're not gonna know unless you tell us so please let us know (laughs) so i have some news jay oh man okay you got a new puppy no no one puppy is enough i'm guessing right like i get to guess yeah guess all right. Um, you're writing a comic book. No, but I wish. You're starring in a comic book. <gasps> you're going to be on Arrow. No. Okay. What? You, I mean, these are the best guesses I have. I'm producing a short film. That's fucking boring. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm so No, no, excited. no. What's, what's going on? What's going on this with the short film? The second short film that I will have produced when I'm done producing it. Um, and But I'm also writing in it and I'm also acting in it. And it's going to be this fun little satirical comedy where we make fun of like super, super dumb, rich, social media, like whore kind of bitches. Oh, so like Instagram models. Yeah, like the ones though that like hawk bad products like sure yeah yeah no i i I, i'm totally with you you know like drink this diet drink and then you might die but drink it of course i i totally get it so when do you so what does this mean for you like you're in pittsburgh are you doing this in pittsburgh no i'm doing it here i'm collaborating with some torontonian production uh companies and are you filming here yeah we'll film it here oh my god that means you might come back yeah. It's not like Guys, I've the real forever. thing of this story is Ivana's gonna come back. As we say while we stare at each other in the studio. She's coming back. <laughs> in my day, we just called them their interwebs the paper. 
All right, so stuff are going on on the interwebs. And if you are a big fan of podcasts, you may have heard of Reply All. It's a Gimlet podcast, and they deal with all things internet. They recently released two episodes called Long Distance. They were so cool. We just had to talk about it. I I mean, normally we wouldn't be plugging another podcast and saying, go do that. But in this case, we both like fell hard for this podcast. And and just there was something about the episode. I highly recommend it. After you're done listening to us, you should check them out in that episode specifically. Um, so basically it follows Alex Goldman as he receives a call from one of those scammers in India who try to convince him that he has a virus on his computer. Then they gain access to his computer who knows what they do there? And then basically they extort $400 for him to get rid of a virus that was never there. Now, I know what you're thinking. I listen to podcasts. I'm a little bit tech savvy and know not to let some stranger on the phone access to my computer. But there's a lot of people that these crooks are making away with tons of money from. Yeah, like the idea is, sure, we all know what it's all about, Uh but our poor grandmothers and grandfathers might fall victim to this stuff. And so it's kind of fun to listen to the story as Alex Goldman goes full deep into this like scam company that's based in India. In this example, the one that calls him. And what's fascinating is that he records all these conversations with these like scammers and you, oh, it's, it's totally interesting. Like, you can't not listen to it. So we thought it would be kind of awesome if we gave you our perspective on how to deal with online scammers. Because, I mean, Ivana and I are not the same people. I don't know if you've noticed this. <laughs> I have a very different approach than Ivana. Yeah, we have complete opposite approaches. Because once we listened to this podcast, we kind of got together and thought, what do you think? And Jay, tell me what you do well for example today i got a long distance phone call and i didn't pick it up because <laughs> i don't know who's on the other end and i'm not going to do that whereas i generally pick up phone calls from unknown numbers um fascinating i think part of it though is that as a freelance actor I receive phone calls that are business-related from numbers I don't know. Okay. See, you didn't tell me that part. You just said, yeah, I pick up numbers all the time. Right. I mean, 1-800 numbers, though, I always assume it's coming from, like, somewhere important. Like, I don't know, my bank. Uh, not that when my bank calls me, I don't give them the third degree. Because whenever anyone calls me about an account that I have... My immediate reaction is to be extremely and utterly, like, on edge. Like, who are you and how can I verify who you are? I'll call you back in a few minutes. Right. I, I'm actually the same way. Sometimes I do. Most of the time I don't pick up. Most of the time I hit my little side button and it stops ringing and I'm like, go about my life. But sometimes maybe I'm at work and I'm just in the zone and I grab my phone and pick it up. My problem is I don't know how to get off the phone with these people. Telemarketers, scammers, anybody. That's why I normally don't pick up because I feel guilty about hanging up on them. <laughs> <laughs> so I have no qualms about hanging up on telemarketers. If someone's come calling to sell me something pretty quick to be like, sorry, not interested. Hang up. Don't even wait for a response. And I usually say, oh, you know what? I don't trust people who call me on this telephone. 
do you have a website I can see? Do you have, could you mail me? And then they're like, we'll mail you. And I'm like, I don't want to give you my information. Do you have a website? Yes, we have a website. I'm not going to go to the website. How do I get you (laughs) off the phone? So if you're a telemarketer and you're not interested, save their time, hang up. But scammers, because I have now had two scam phone calls in my life. A few. You've had one? Yeah, two that were just like this, where they were like a call center. Totally, you have a virus kind of thing. Totally. I don't remember if the story was that it was a virus, but it was definitely something along those lines. Um, And I kind of did what Alex did. I played along and kept asking really stupid questions and did that up until the guy started screaming at me and telling me I was a horrible (laughs) person and that I deserve to die and that he hopes that all of my children have disgusting diseases and go to hell. Oh, my God. These people are just pieces of work. They get very upset when they cannot, like... uh, Break you. Break you, but I loved it. And if I ever get called since that time... Now, even when you get those automated messages, you have won a free trip. Press one if you want to accept. If I have the time, I now always press one. You push buttons. You're a button pusher. But more than that, I take up the time of a scammer, which prevents that scammer from immediately calling someone's grandmother. Okay, so what about your grandmother? How do you let her know? Okay, now that is fair. I think that what we all need to get better at is to, like, record these conversations when we do play along with scammers and, like, spread them all over the Internet. That's a great idea. Go to social media. Say, hey, these are the people who tried to get me. This is the conversation. It came from here. Uh, spread the word and yeah. don't be a fool. Exactly. And and tell your grandmother about it. If you are lucky enough to have grandparents who are alive or parents who are maybe not tech savvy. Mom. Reach out. Tell them. If you get a call like this, do not follow up. Get them on alert. Get like all the like older generation people on high alert so that whenever anyone calls them, they freak out. A hundred percent, my mom would get a phone call on her Apple phone, and they would be, and she'd be like, "Oh, you're from Apple? Okay, yeah." Like a hundred percent, my mom would do that because you're calling her Apple phone. She would just think, "Well, they must be because I have an Apple phone, and they're from Apple." And this is why we have to educate the old people. Oh, the old people. Well, maybe not the old people, <laughs> but the people who don't get it, who don't get the tech, who don't get that this is happening. I wonder if our listeners have other tips for us. Yes, that would be amazing. If you guys share your tips for how to deal with scammers online and on phones and all that jazz, we will then share them and talk about them in a future episode. It's Film Freaks. Chatter for the film fan and all of us. Hey, remember last week when we said we're going to watch Dunkirk? We watched Dunkirk. So if you haven't seen Dunkirk, we're about to spoil the hell out of this movie. But it's also based in history, so, you know... Maybe just stick around and learn something. Yeah, you could learn something. It's true. There are three parts that are being told out of order. One is the mole, which means kind of ground warfare. One is the sky, plane warfare. And one is the sea. You get it. So in the mole, we watch an industrious soldier try to survive by boarding a destroyer that is leaving an enemy swarmed beach at Dunkirk. He tries everything he can think of to get into the destroyer. 
He doesn't make it. But that's good because it gets blown up by a torpedo. He does make a soldier friend, though, a quiet chap. They both make it onto another destroyer, but then that one gets blown up by a torpedo, too. Luckily, this soldier's buddy was there to save the day. Great guy. Anyway, back at shore, he and his buddy try to hide away in this fishing boat waiting for high tide. But in the meantime, it takes enemy fire with him and all his comrades inside. And that's when we learn that the soldier friend is actually a French soldier trying to escape the war. Finally, our main soldier reaches a small civilian vessel, dodges death a few more times, and when he arrives back in England, he reads Churchill's famous address about retreat. That part of the movie takes place over a week. I don't really get why that's important, but let's keep going. In the sky, Tom Hardy is flying a plane over the course of one hour. He and his wingman are flying Spitfire planes, which are kind of hardier than what the Germans are flying, and they manage to shoot down a number of them. His wingman gets hit, goes down into the ocean where he becomes trapped when his cockpit hatch won't open. He tries desperately to get out, but it's only when a civilian vessel comes close is he rescued. He mans the vessel and helps further with the evacuation. Meanwhile, Tom Hardy is still flying in the air. He takes out one more plane while he's dangerously close to having no fuel left. Finally, he runs out of fuel, but manages to turn the plane around quickly, shoot down a final plane, and land safely on the beach where he's captured by the enemy. In the sea, we follow a man, his son, and his friend as they take their weekend boat to rescue soldiers on the beach of Dunkirk. This storyline plays out over the course of one day. These brave folks see a stranded soldier and they rescue him. The soldier is shell-shocked and insists they turn around. No one listens. Eventually, a fight breaks out and the friend is knocked down into the underbelly of the boat, banging his head hard. The soldier didn't mean for this to get this bad and keeps asking, is the boy all right? And right in the nick of time, with the cheesiest, what do you see, line in all of movie history, the music swells and all the civilian ships from England show up in the nick of time. BTW, this is a pretty cool fact of history. On the boat, we've been following, sadly, that the friend has died. And when the shell shock soldier asks again, he's told that the boy will be all right. His father nods approvingly as they return to England. But at the very end of the movie, the soldier does see a body being carried out, and he totally knows that he killed the boy. He does, and then he goes and he deals with his life, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> um, okay, so straight up, what do you think of Dunkirk? Overrated? I definitely think this is a movie that not everybody can see. I think this is a Maybe, movie. I mean, everybody can see if you have eyes and you want to experience a movie. I think this is not a movie for everyone. It is definitely not a movie for me. And why not? Well, to start, I dislike war movies. They make me think about war. Then I think about people risking their lives and why and why does it have to get to that? And then I have horrible thoughts and I can't sleep. Okay, so yours is a matter of sleeping. Well, and just, I just, it, guilt and sadness and reality, too much reality. I think Dunkirk's a pretty bleak film in general it's all about a retreat it's all about these soldiers trying to get off the beach um and i and i don't think from a narrative standpoint i don't think it always works i think here's here's my problem with this movie um one i think it is actually like technically awesome i think you know 
the mortars going off on the beach, the sound design. Um, I don't love the score. Actually, I really don't like. I really Hans hated Zimmer's the score, TikTok. Actually. The TikTok ruined everything. It was like, oh, nobody would care, so we should add in a clock to make you feel. Time well, more. they're trying to build tension with these like all of Hans. I know, Zimmer's but when you need Hans Zimmer to build tension because otherwise the movie has zero tension. That is not a good thing. I felt like that was like bleeding at me, like a sheep bleats, like like all the way through the right. film. Right, and they had to do that because otherwise you would be like, do 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 do. I'm bored. Uh, but I just don't think like I didn't like it, so I was like, whatever. So when that, you know, we just explained it when the swelling happened of this music that was actually music and not tones. It didn't. It did nothing for me. Like it. I mean, it was nice to see that the civilians were coming in, but I knew they were coming in because I watched the whole movie watching them come in. I knew this was the p- the plan the whole time, so it was never there was never a moment of like this is a surprise to me that this is happening. It's not meant to be a surprise; it's meant to be a relief. But, but let it, me tell you, but that score insists on giving you some feels, and I got no feels, and I'm looking around the theater, and no one else did either. I'll tell you, I had some feels watching that scene. Oh, shit. Here we go. She's she's got some intensity. Anger feels. The worst thing I have seen in a movie in so long was the part where that one dude is carrying binoculars and hands them to his superior and says, what do you see, sir? And his (laughs) superior officer says something to the effect of, Everyone is saved or whatever. It says home. Right. Whatever. <laughs> like, clearly, I I was so angry. I was like, you're holding binoculars. There's not a lot of lines in you're this movie. Holding, Couldn't you just remember home? You're holding. The point is, the man held binoculars, gave them away, and said, what do you see? Home. Like, it was just cheesiness. How can you even enjoy the rescue when you're so angry at the setup? Okay, I... With the music. Like, everything about that moment was so cliche. Everything about that moment in the film is so artificial that I was like, this is fucked. Like, I I know what you're trying to do. But cliche. And it's so manipulative. And they didn't do anything new. work. Nothing worked. Anyway, so that's so that part I felt like would have been more effective. One, if the writing was better. And two, if I didn't realize that they were coming the whole way. But at the same time, if by having it all out of order, I get to watch the Mark Rylance story go the whole distance, which was my favorite part of the film was watching Mark Rylance on the boat with the two boys. Like I, that that's was my your most favorite. My favorite. That was my most interesting part. Is uh the two the French and English soldier on the beach. The f- trying to trying to get off the beach. Just the French and English soldier period. Like uh I I loved to me they had a lot of character development both of them. Well, they may I did not, not see that. W- they may not have said much. They may not have talked about their lives, but I think they showed who they were. In their souls. And I think that you saw that. Like you saw each and every moment, each and every plan come into their head. Then the plan goes awry. Then they react. But then they're like right back at it. Like these are two characters that just keep fighting. They don't give up. They don't care. They just keep going. And like even the moment with the French dude where everybody else goes in and they're now partying in that destroyer, I guess. Destroyer? Yep. Yep. And, um, the boat and the the french kid says no 
I'm starving, but I don't need the food and I don't need the merriment. And by says, I mean he does not say it. He just because he, he says does. nothing. He just he doesn't go inside the destroyer. And then he sits outside and has a small break for like three seconds, maybe. In order to wait for the torpedo to show up. And then steals himself. And then it's just lucky that he's outside and he saves everyone. And to me, that's character development. Both of them, him and the main guy who you, like, he was a little bit more happy to, like, get along with people. He was a little bit more likely to he look for people. He could speak the language. His own age. Yeah, I think it wasn't that the guy couldn't speak the language. It was that if he spoke. People would have known he was French. Right. And the French were all still back fighting yeah, they the weren't, Germans. They weren't supposed to be able to escape. That's right. This was for the English, not for the French. But I get it. You are like 17 to 20 three or something you're desperate you want off the off. you've been you've had your life you know on the line for however long and it's terrifying and you're young and like how does anyone even understand what war is so i get it i there's no ill will towards that french you know guy. it's interesting that you say that because you know harry styles is just as desperate and just as badly wants to get off but he's so consumed with the fact that he feels like a failure only at the end of the movie. Well, yeah, because the rest of the time he's fighting for his life. So he's not consumed. I wouldn't say he's consumed. He's Once af- he- after he's rescued, then he suddenly is worried the image he'll get. And I and I think that. But I don't know. He's that that willing to like- get back out there. I think. Right. To prove himself or something. I-, I think he just was worried that he'd come home and people would like throw things at him and say- call him a failure. Right. And when he when they didn't, he was very happy. I mean, Harry Styles' character, I also liked because we he, that was totally different character development in the sense of you saw how opportunistic and maybe how like self-serving he was as a general rule. Oh, yeah. He just wanted to save his hide. And then he probably thought that once he got off that off the water, people were going to like jeer at him and he was trying to think of ways to like, oh my God, I'm they're going to attack me again. They're going to attack me. Now other people are going to attack me. Right. So he's kind of like a weak-willed character, but still strong enough to survive this whole mm-hmm. this and whole ordeal. To his credit, he does actually go back and like attempt to save the French guy before he dies. I hated that death. It made no sense to me. I hated yeah. that death. I was like, seriously? Seriously? Is this just you trying to be like getting rid of one of the best characters? But so it also didn't can? make any sense. Like he wasn't strapped to anything. He yeah, wasn't, like why was he Why just... couldn't he swim two more feet? I couldn't understand it. No. I don't think he could swim, actually. His character couldn't swim at all. But why then did he stay with his hands when the boat was filling up with water is the first part. Sure. If, I mean, if you're that nervous, leaving, get out, right? Yeah, if everyone else is leaving the boat, why are you staying on the boat when you cannot swim? He was also really close to that ladder the I, whole time. And the whole time he's so like able to like avoid death narrowly, time after time after time. He's, You know he's willing to do what he needs to to survive because he's taking the clothing off of a dead English soldier, but... At that one last moment, suddenly it's important to him to keep plugging those holes, even though everyone else has abandoned the ship. It was just such a lapse in judgment. I didn't get it. I, I'm with you. I've, I've seen the film twice, and I, I'm like, I don't understand why he had to die. No. So I know what you liked. You liked those two characters on the beach. Yep. What did you not like the most? The airplanes. Okay. 
the airplanes. I, I mean, a lot of my friends thought the airplanes were the coolest part of the film. The airplanes were the most boring part of the movie. Because of the way they moved? Because of why? I barely, I, I'm not, like, it was just too abstract. Like, I see one in cockpit, then I see another cockpit, but nobody's really talking. I know what they're doing in general, but there's not, like, a narrative. It's not like when they have a fight scene and they slow things down so that you can see each hit land. Right. I mean, I think when somebody got hit in this movie, smoke would appear and that was it. There was no, like, big explosions or snow but you didn't shoot it in a way that was like this guy gets behind that guy then that guy like it's not it's not shot in oh it wasn't dramatically shot right so i was just really bored i'm like oh plane and air great like days of thunder is dramatically shot like but there's nothing really going on except people racing around a circle i looked away most of the time because i couldn't be bothered wow. i was like who cares? I saw this movie in 70 millimeter IMAX both times. I was, when the film started both times, I was blown away by the scope. Like, just the size of these of the projection on this film is insane to me. Um, and when the first bullet was fired, I jumped both times. Because it's so loud in that theater. Like, like a normal AVX theater cranked up by 12 dB. Like, it was... Yeah, like it fucking scared me. And then when like bombs were dropping, you'd hear the like that's when I say it was technically an experience to be there. It felt like these are the sounds I would probably hear if I was at a war. You Nolan somehow managed to transport me onto that beach and, and hear those things and somewhat get wrapped up into it because of the visuals. I don't think there's much story here that I can get behind. You know, I'm not doing a lot of like digging in my brain to like do anything. I'm just kind of sitting, watching, leaving. Yeah, I would agree. You you sit, you watch, you leave, and then you're done. And and I will say I watched this with Blake, and he was really excited because he knows a lot about this. He's the, a war nut. He is a war nut. He loves his World War II history more than anything. I knew nothing of this conflict by the way where he knew everything about it exactly to him it was like breathing like he was like what do you mean you don't know about this and i was like jay told me i should learn about the history and at the end we walked out of the movie and he looked at me he goes you don't need to know any history i don't know what jay is talking about that was a horrible movie wow okay so <laughs> what happened was i saw it the first time and i i gave it a a lower mark out of five and i put my review on twitter and i had an englishman come to me on twitter and say i don't think you understand like I've known about this story my whole life, do a little digging. So I, I read up a little more on the story, and the second time I was like, okay, this actually, I, I know where they came from. I know, like, a little bit more about the background. Uh, because the first time I saw it, I was really, I didn't understand why these two guys were trying so hard while everybody else was lined up properly, like infantry. Like, you're supposed to line up with everybody else. You're supposed to do those things. But you're watching these two guys who are really desperate. But everybody else is also and desperate. And I didn't realize. No, but everybody else is equally desperate. They're not... There's not so these, why are some people obeying by the Nolan's rules? Because no writing a story and we're watching the rebels because that's more entertaining. No, that's literally it. It's not like these two soldiers had it worse than every other soldier there. There's no... And A... There is nothing that would suggest that. Except that his whole company died at the beginning of the film. And he escaped so narrowly. Yeah, I know. But like that's 
that's war, right? Like, that's pro- presumably the French guy somehow got, like, detached from his whole accompaniment, and he's now alone too. So if being alone is maybe the thing they share in common, now that you're alone, you have to, like, look out for yourself. You don't have your troop. But that doesn't make knowing the But it also seemed like he was alone for, like, two minutes. They made the story of, like, the one guy, like, you're alone for two minutes, now you're at the beach, good luck. Yeah. For me, I that was my, my part. I was like, how long is this? Like, you said it was a week. Like, how long have they been walking through this city alone and, like, scared and shit like that? That's longer than a week. I know, Right. Like, why is everybody else already at the beach? I guess you're trying to make... I don't fucking know. All I know is that this is a story that I didn't know a hell of a lot about. And by the end of it, maybe the narrative for me was a little bit confusing. Well, it wasn't about that story as much as... The whole thing. It's about the whole thing and about the rescue. Yeah, like it's it's about a small, tiny sliver of the historic story, which is what angered Blake, I think, the most. Mm-hmm. He was like, what history do you need to know? There were so many great battles. There were so many great legends about this battle. The English did some legendary things. The French did some legend. He was like, went off on a tirade. Well, of there was there was apparently this is apparently when they realized what the Germans were that the Germans were. Uh, effectively doing war crimes with captured, you know, prisoners of war. Yeah. Like, there was bad shit going on. And this is when they learned that, apparently. And so he knows all the history, and he was pissed that none of the cool stories that he's learned were talked about at all in this movie. It's a very different film than any other war movie I've ever seen. I will say that. I know you don't watch a lot of them, but, like... People have compared it to Saving Private Ryan. I don't think that's a fair comparison. Saving Private Ryan's a rated R movie that shows the general horrors of storming Normandy. And I'm just going to interrupt you here. Yeah. People only compare it to Saving Private Ryan to say that people are comparing it to Saving Private Ryan. Comparing Dunkirk to Saving Private Ryan, and they're not the same. Like they're very much not the I same. I know, but I've read now. I don't know how many reviews that start with. Everyone's comparing this to Saving Private Ryan, but I don't get it. I don't think anyone's com- like I think everyone's comparing it to say that thought. Like that's very possible because I've only heard that one thought. Like it's that's crazy. Very, very possible. Now, when I stepped out of the theater, the first thing out of my buddy's mouth was, "Oh, I think that was that was better than Saving Private Ryan. That those war scenes were better than Saving." And I'm like, "How is a PG-13 war scene better than that Normandy scene?" Where you're like people are picking up their body parts like that's shock and awe and holy fuck. And Dunkirk is very there's no blood. There's no blood in this film. To me, I was like, wow, okay, this is all technical because I'm not emotionally involved with these people. So I'm just really watching. And like I said, I can watch something technical and appreciate it for what it is and respect what it is. And at the end, like I said. I go in, I sit, I watch, I leave. And that's it. Because I'm not thinking about Dunkirk when I leave. Yeah, I I I just I think that's that's horrible. Like if you don't have Like War for the Planet of the Apes, I'm still thinking about 3 4 weeks later. Like <laughs> that's nuts that I'm thinking about these apes when this is a real moment in history and I'm like, well, 
the film didn't do its job and affect me the way yeah, I thought it should. I'm a big, I, I don't think you have anything if you don't have story that compels people. And I think that the prettiness of this movie um, is not enough. It doesn't do enough for me. It's not even worth So watching. what do you rank it at a five? Like a two and a half. Okay, I did go higher on mine. I went, I, I gave it four because it's all technical. I am so just, dis- I don't understand how just technical awe is worthy of four points. You know, I, it's when I gave Avatar such shit, but everybody else gave it high. I don't know. It's like the reverse Avatar for me. I don't know why. At least Avatar had a semblance of a story. It was Fern Gully, and Fern Gully was great. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Next week, join us as we watch a little Netflix show. The first episode of Bill Nye Saves the World. Bill Nye Saves the World. Something like that. So I we're going to watch the Bill Nye Science Guy show, and we'll talk a little bit about it. I don't, I think it's going to be delightful. I don't think there's anything I'm going to be able to... I mean, it's Bill Nye. It's Bill Nye. He talked to us when we were kids, and now he's going to talk to us as adults. Hey, shut up! It's trailer trash! Ready Player One. It is not a surprise that this movie dropped during Comic-Con. And yes, this is months after Comic-Con happened. But Jay and I are going to talk about this movie because I have not been so angry since that time that you watched that Thor trailer and got angry about the Hulk. I was pretty upset about that. Here's the thing. We read the book together. Together. And we both really enjoyed the book. It's, I think, a modern classic. I I think it's pretty good. I think it's really, really good. I think that Ernest a Klein... classic? Yeah, I think that this book will go down in history the way that, like, 1984 went down, Brave New World. Wow. I think, like, 100 years from now, people are going to be studying it. Okay, so the trailer drops at Comic-Con. And it's directed by Steven Spielberg. So obviously, Ivana and I are like, well, we love the book. Really excited. Love Spielberg. Let's see what he's got. Terrible trailer. I I, I don't want to see this movie, which I, I didn't think would be possible because of how much I was excited when I heard that Spielberg would be directing this. I was expecting some sort of feeling of wonder and awe like E.T. or Jurassic Park or... The understanding that there is a true message to be shared with the world. And instead we got Transformers. Yeah, we got kind of like Transformers mashed up with Pixels, which, I mean, that's the worst thing you could do. Or like Transformers meets Tron. Yeah, I'll buy that with a slide of his AI stuff. Yeah. But I, oh man, I mean, let's start with the casting. What? Why is this kid so good looking? This is, it's like, it's the early 90s and Jonathan Taylor Thomas is reinvented (laughs) in the 2017 screen. I don't get it. And also, in a world where everybody is indoors and sedentary, who has a tan that nice? Like, I'm sorry. This kid. He's got to be pasty. He's got to be fat. In the book, it goes into great length, into great length about the fact that Generally speaking, this is a really difficult world to be in. People eat shit. They eat processed crap that is not good for you. And most people in and around the real world are chubby. They're chubbier than they should be because all they eat is processed crap. And all they do all day is sit. All they do all day is sit and they go into this reality, like this 
well, the Oasis, which is like this alternate reality kind of thing. Right. And not only that, but they're living in squalor. People are poor. They barely have anything. This is a very dystopian future. And I'm sorry, but when you cast this beautiful little specimen of a kid (laughs) with his perfect little tan and his bleach white teeth and his hair, I don't buy it. And and what does he need to change with his avatar? Yeah. What is he what's he going to make himself look better with? And they literally go into that in the book how it's very key that most people when they make an avatar it looks similar to them but better. It's the idealized version of you, which by the way has been backed up by fact. Most people when they make avatars especially if they're humanoid go with themselves but slightly better. Of course. And so and and there, a lot of this book deals with insecurities about how you look in real life because or you have who this you fake are life. in real life exactly and it's the whole duality of I can be anyone in this world but in real life I am less than and to get this trailer where all they're just doing is shoving like the DeLorean in our face and Freddy Krueger and the Iron Giant and then just showing action pieces the film is about like a treasure hunt yeah the film is Basically, the idea would be like Steve Jobs created the Oasis, the way Oasis and everyone goes to the Oasis for everything, for school, for everything, because real life is so horrible that you can't live in it any longer. So now we all go to alternate or virtual reality. Yeah. Your whole world is lived in in the Oasis. You go to school in virtual reality. You do a lot of things, which actually I think is going to be a thing down the road. But they don't show you him going to school. They don't show you the people he interacts with. They don't show you his best friend. They don't show you his uh, the girl that's his competition and maybe a love interest. They don't show these things. They don't show that he's insecure. They don't show that he is a human with worries. They don't show that he has a true love and affection for the 80s. They just show a dude who puts on his VR helmet and then does some it's cool so, stuff. so cool, man. Most of the time, I am bitching about trailers showing me too much. I showed this trailer to Becky. And I was like, watch for the nostalgia, watch for all the cool things, and tell me if you want to see this movie. She watched it. She said, ugh, no, too much. Because it's too much sensation crap in my face and not enough, who is this kid? Like, let's be honest. The point of a trailer is to intrigue you and pull you in and say, oh, I want to see two hours of that. And basically spasming lights and like it might be an epileptic fit in your face yeah like that's how this trailer is i feel like it can't just be the marketing like spielberg's gotta think that this is great and he signed off on it because he's like the god of hollywood i i think he screwed up i think he made transformers out of a masterpiece i also think maybe he thought well this is going to comic-con and they're nerds and they want to see nerd things and maybe i'll just send it to comic-con like this, instead of giving me anything. I I hope so. I hope it's that. When I look at the casting, when I look at the fact that the Oasis world looks like complete CG avatar, like I'm watching animation now, like there's real world and then animation. Yeah. The way they describe it in the book is actually as close to reality, but like just a step back. Right. Kind of like Jungle Book. Yeah. Because when you're watching The Jungle Book, you're aware that it's not real, 
But at the same time, it's so lifelike that you feel like you could touch it. Yes. That's a that's a good way to describe it. And that's how it's supposed to be in the Oasis. Are you still hopeful that this could turn itself around? No. Wow. So you're going to watch it on DVD at home? No, 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 no. It's Ernest Cline, and I love this book more than anything. And I do think it's a modern masterpiece. Okay. So I, I will watch it in movie theaters because of that. And because I loved the way that Will Wheaton read me the book. <laughs> and I'll probably listen to the book read to me by Will Wheaton after watching this movie. And I will cry because of how bad this movie is. Also, if he doesn't have a cameo, there's something wrong with the world. Wow. There you go. Okay. Well, what did you think of Ready Player One? We really want to know your thoughts, and we want to know if you share the same ones we do. You know, there was nothing really given. You've read the book. Have you read the book? Have you listened and dreamed of Will Wheaton while you read the, while you did the audiobook? Uh, yeah, we'd love to know. And that's our show. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in again next week. If you'd like to help us support the show, we would really appreciate it. All you have to do is hop onto iTunes or whatever your podcast service is and give us a quick rating and review. We also want to hear directly from you, so it's super easy to get a hold of us. You can reach us on our website, morethemovies.net. Email us, hello at morethemovies.net. Facebook at More Than Movies Podcast. Catch us on Twitter. I'm at It's Savannah. And I'm at Jester J. Our intro song comes from bensound.com, and we encourage you to check out our show notes for more information about our music, our talented voice actors, and sound effects. Thanks again for spending some time with us. We'll be back again next Monday with an all-new episode. And until next time, friends... Do more... And watch more.